We need to see God move. We need to see God move. Let me set this up as we get into God's word this morning. In our personal lives, we all have those, we need to see God move. Because how we tend to live our lives is this way. This will resonate with somebody. We live like we're in control. We set the pace. Things happen on our watch, on our agenda, and that's how we try to live. Just this illusion that we're in control. And then things happen, and we realize we don't have the control that we thought we did. That ringing any bells to anybody so far? And it's in those moments you realize you do have limits. You're not made of steel. You don't have all power. And we get into these times where it seems like something happens and it just causes a block to kind of go in front of us. You guys ever had that? Or a mountain right in front of you? Yep. Those of you on this side of the room have and those of you over here have not. And maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's like things are starting to happen or have happened in your life and things are spiraling out of control, a whole bunch of things at once, and it's beyond your capability to seemingly to be able to do anything about it. That's what happens sometimes in our personal lives, and we need to see God move in those times because only God is big enough to do something about those things. In our world, we need to see God move there too. We live in this advanced age with our advanced technology and our advanced medicine and our advanced science and watch my hands, our advanced ways of thinking. And yet, answer me this, are things going real well in the world these days? No, it's a dumpster fire. Like things are going on, like rockets are being fired, COVID's flying out of control, there's violence all over, things are not going that well. And the more we kind of progress, it seems like maybe we can't like just snap our fingers and fix it all. Here's what tends to happen. Generationally, here's what happens. A generation rises up and they say, our parents messed this planet up and we're gonna fix it, our generation. And then it just continues to be as bad as it was. We realize, oh, we're not any better than our parents were. That was for you guys, wink, wink. We're not as smart as we thought we were. We need to see God move in our world because there are things going on that only God is big enough to do anything about. Would you agree? In the church, not just our church, but the global church, we need to see God move. The church is the bride of Christ. We are to be a light and a beacon of hope to the rest of the world and carrying the gospel, carrying the message of Christ and his love and all this. And you know how it goes, like even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And while we believe that, I fully believe that. Do you believe that today? We fully believe that and we acknowledge that and we trust in that, but, but sometimes we look around, if we're being honest, in our city or in our province, our country even, and it seems like the church is kind of declining in some ways. It seems like interest is sort of waning in it and people, watch my hands, think they have better things to do and, and churches are shrinking, churches are closing all the time and church has sort of been pushed to the side of things in the culture. You know, 
for better or for worse, the church used to be pretty well in the center of society, and now it's just further and further going this way. But, and, and not only is the church being pushed further to the side in the culture, the church and Christians and the Bible are kind of like starting to be more and more demonized as time goes on. Like the oppression of the church has kind of all but started. And as we look out as God's people, you might look out and look forward and think, man, I don't know, we could be in for a bumpy ride like going forward. We need to see God move in and through the church because only God is big enough to do something about some of the things that are going on and, and some of the needs that the church has and some of the, some of the progress the church needs to make. How's that for a start of a series? Y'all encouraged yet? <laughs> you guys know me by now. Like, I'm not the doom and gloom guy at all. And I'm not standing up here trying to sound doom and gloom. Frankly, as Christians, we don't really have any reason or occasion to be doom and gloom. But I'm just saying all of this to say, like, this is real life. This is real life. Like, we're not coming in here with our rose-colored glasses on and putting on the mask. Everything's great. Oh, everything's praise the Lord. Everything's great. Sometimes there are struggles. Like, in our personal lives, even in a church our size, there are some big needs in our personal lives. In the world around us, there are some big needs and some crazy things going on. In the church, there are big needs and things going on and, and, and strength that is needed. And in all of this, we need to see God move because our efforts alone won't cut it. Like we've seen it long enough to know that. Our efforts aren't enough. We need to see God move. And the series that we're starting today is called The Move of God. Somebody say, The Move of God. And the question that we're asking, it's a five-week series, and the question we're asking is this. Are there things that we can do to position ourselves to see God move? I'll say that again. Are there things that we can do to position ourselves to maybe see God move? And as we go on in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about a number of principles to that end that we can follow, but I want to sort of just set the stage today, kind of give a little bit of an introduction to this. So, when we're talking about the move of God, I don't know, you could look at that phrase, and that could mean many different things to many different people. I want to just give us some common language on this one. What is a move of God? Simply put, a move of God is when God shows up, and he does something amazing, incredible, spectacular, extraordinary, powerful. That's a move of God. He just shows up on the scene and stuff goes on. That sound easy enough to remember? Okay. That's a move of God. And we have seen occasions of moves of God all across history and all through scripture. God shows up and boom, like something goes on. Matter of fact, we have seen God move. Every single one of us here who is a Christian has seen God move in your life at least one time that you can speak of. He saved you. That salvation that you have, that's not any result of something that you did. That was a work of God. That was a move of God. He transplanted us from darkness to light. He brought us from death to life. Again, while we were sinning against him and enemies of his, he saved us through our faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. He did a work in us. God moved in your salvation. Now I want to ask you, are you thankful for that salvation and that move of God in your life? I am too. I am too. Now, if we really thought about it too, I bet you all of us could give occasions of other times in our lives we've seen God move, right? It wasn't just that one isolated thing. 
thankful for it as we are. God moves in all kinds of different ways. Um, we all would have stories about it. Matter of fact, we've seen God move in and through and for our church too as, as, a, as a body. I was thinking about it this week. This year is our church's 125th anniversary. That's pretty cool. And just saying, I mean this like not in a bad way, I think for any church to last that long, the Lord had to kind of do something, right? Like, we're not so great. I love you all, but like, we're not so great. And, uh, but here we are through all, think of the change that's happened in the world in 125 years, and we're still kicking. Some of you have been here for some of those 125 years. I won't, we won't give a number to that, but no one's been here for the whole time. That's all right. Um, we've seen God move like I can even remember in my lifetime in our church, there were times where things were kind of on the decline and things were kind of going this way and, and, and numbers are dwindling and there's kind of not much going on and the conversation was beginning to happen. Okay, like if this keeps on, like we might have to like pack her in. Some of you guys remember those days. But the Lord moved. The Lord did something and he brought revival into the church and so we've come back up like that, right? We've seen God move, oh, I don't know, in giving us this building. Like that wasn't because I or we were so clever. Like that would not have worked out if not for the Lord. God has moved in the history of our church. He's moved in our lives. God moves and when God moves, powerful, incredible, amazing, great, seemingly impossible things seem to happen. Frankly, anything can happen when God moves. I'm gonna put him in a box. He can do whatever he likes because it says in Ephesians 3.20, some of you know this verse. It's a great verse. God is able to do more than we ask or think or can even imagine. Isn't that a good verse? God is able to do more than we ask or think or can even imagine. So that situation that you face that seems so severe, that seems that there's no help available, boom, God can do something about that because he's able to do more than we ask or think or imagine. That need that seems like will never be met, that provision that will never be received, God can show up and do something about that. That addiction the person faces, that job that can't seem to be found, that forgiveness that you can't seem to extend. That direction and that word and that plan from the Lord you're looking for, he can show up and provide that. That person that needs to be saved, God can save them. That spiritual growth that needs to happen, boom, God can show up and cause it to happen. That revival in the church that's sometimes sought after, God is able to do more than we ask or think or can even imagine. We need that to sink in. We need that to be in our vocabulary as God's people. He is able, say it, he is able. That's our God. So that's what a move of God is. Now, the next question then is, why would God move? Why would God bother? You know, just little old me here, I'm but one speck on this planet. Why would he want to move in my life, in my world, in my church? Well, here's why. God loves to move. He loves to move. It's part of who he is. It's part of just what he does. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. I got a few references up here. The first one is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very beginning of everything that we see and we know and history as we know it, God moved. He created, he worked, he acted. And you need to understand something about that. Genesis 1.1. God did not have to do that. God was not lacking for anything or wanting for anything. 
He wasn't missing anything. God has always existed since eternity past, and he's been doing fine. But it pleased him to create the heavens and the earth. It pleased him to move. It pleased him to express himself. It pleased him to reveal his glory in that way because he loves to move. Now, John 5, 17, that's where Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, God started working at Genesis 1, 1 and he didn't stop working. He kept on working and he's still working. That's what's going on. Isaiah 55, 11, this is one of my favorites. It says, God says, the word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God speaks, his word goes out, and it does stuff. It's gonna succeed in what he sent it for. God also loves to work in and through people. It's not just external to us. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It pleases him to work in us. Jeremiah 32, 40, God says, I will make with my people an everlasting covenant. Listen to this, that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And he says, I will rejoice in doing good to them. Isn't that awesome? God rejoices in doing good in our lives. And of course, your classic Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. How many things? All things. God loves to move. We don't view God as some passive, idle, sitting on the sideline, doing nothing, eating cheesies kind of God. He's a present and active God. We don't view him as an incapable God or a not strong enough God. No, he is strong and powerful. And when he moves, the kingdom advances. When he moves, Satan's kingdom takes a back seat. When he moves, growth happens and worship happens and exaltation happens. God loves to move. So let me sum up where we've just been so far. We need to see God move, where there's a need or a scenario or a situation or a block or a mountain that you're facing or a concern that you have or a burden that you bear, we need to see God move and lucky for us, he loves to move and he's able to do more than we ask or think or imagine. You guys up to speed so far? Are we all good here? Okay, so what I wanna do then as I said, in the coming weeks, we're going to issue a number of these principles. And if we abide by these principles, we can potentially be better positioned to see God move in our midst. But what I want to do today, I want to issue a series of warning labels. Somebody say warning label. And you guys are smart people. You all know how warning labels work. When there is a product with dangerous ingredients inside or maybe strong components inside, they slap a warning label on it that tells you to make sure you don't use it the wrong way. There's a story in the history of our church, actually, though I'm convinced it's utterly fictitious. There's a story of many years ago, there was a young intern who won't be named for confidentiality reasons, who was an intern at the church for the summer. And part of this intern's job for the summer was to clean the building. And you guys remember how our old building was? Uh, four floors, and one of this person's jobs was to clean the bathrooms, one on each floor. And 
This person, again, who definitely wasn't me and shall not be named, this person one day was cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the toilets, and grabbed the toilet bowl cleaner and squeezed a little in, and the bottle was empty. Just got a little bit in there. And so this nameless person said, I'll just go get another one from a different bathroom. What could possibly go wrong? So up, that person went to a different bathroom, got another one, noticed, oh, this bottle looks different than the other one. This one's green and the other one was blue. This person said to themselves, they're all toilet bowl cleaners, what's the difference? This person has grown since then. <clears throat> anyway, brought it down, squeezed some in, and uh, the water turned like a funny color instantaneously. Kind of like a yellow, like not very good color. And so I'm, or that person was scrubbing, 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 and it like did something to the air, like it messed the air up pretty good. It's this little room, enclosed space, and uh, started coughing, and eyes started watering, so got out of there, and there were a couple other people hanging around, and this person said, is it like bad to mix toilet bowl cleaners? And the look that came back the other way was, It turns out that one bottle was ammonia-based. The other bottle was bleach-based. And when you mix ammonia and bleach, all of you chemistry people, it produces chloramine gas. And chloramine gas is poisonous, and if you suck it in long enough, it can really mess you up. It can actually kill you. Now, this person that definitely wasn't me was fine, didn't breathe it in very long, opened the window, all was well. But the point was this. I didn't read the warning label. It says right on the bottle, people, don't mix household chemicals. Right on, the, like bold letters. Didn't read it. And to think of what I could have done, or anyway, won't go there, but if I had just read the label, would have been kind of safe from that. You guys know how warning labels work. They don't tell you, hey, don't use this product but it says make sure you handle this product safely. It can be a really good, helpful thing if you use it right, but if you use it wrong, it can cause harm. Now this truth and these principles we're gonna see about God and God moving and God loving to move, it's very powerful stuff. Because God is able to do more than we can even ask or think. He's like just he's way beyond us. God can do amazing things when we seek him and we trust in him and when we do what he, what he has in his will for us to do. But here's the thing. We have to make sure that we're not handling it the wrong way. For instance, if we take all this stuff about the move of God and we say, oh, then God has to do whatever I want if I do X, Y, Z, we start treating him like a genie in a bottle. And then what you see is, oh, God didn't do what I wanted. What's the matter with him? And we can get angry at God. We can get disappointed in God. We can get bitter against God. And we don't want that, obviously. So what I'm gonna do, I wanna issue six things that constitute this warning label uh, before we launch into the principles next week. The first one is this. God is always moving, but I wanna distinguish between the everyday move of God and the extraordinary move of God. Both of them are awesome, both of them are needed, both of them are essential, but there's a difference. There are things that God does in an everyday, ongoing, continual fashion. 
He just, he just does it all the time. There's Romans 8, 28 again. God works all things for the good of those who love him. So that means in every situation, even the most minuscule of situations in your life, God is there behind the scenes causing it to all work out for your good. Like he's always doing that continually. And just for fun, on a sidebar, the visual I got for that one this week was, you know how the old switchboards used to work? Like someone would sit at the switchboard and a call would come in and they're like patching everything through, da, 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 like this. It's kind of like what God is doing. Everything that comes our way, God is taking it and he's causing it to work for our good. You're welcome for those of you who ever ran a switchboard. That was for you. Um, Psalm 145.15 and Matthew 6, those are scriptures that talk about God supplying our daily needs. How many of you know we have daily needs? Things we need all the time, every day. Well, God is faithful in supplying those things. Things like food, things like clothing, things like shelter. God, God is always providing those things. Lamentations 3.22, that's a great verse in an underrated book, just saying. That tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. So God is continually supplying us with mercy. Some of us need that really bad. God is always giving us mercy. There's always this fresh supply available to us. He's always doing that. God, God always is supplying the air we need to breathe. How many of you know that's not something that you control? That's something that God does, the air you breathe. God causes the sun to rise and to set every day. Things like that, God causes the, the planets to keep on spinning. These are all moves of God. And I, I want us to be thankful for them. Like, let's not take these for granted. Like, every good thing you have in your life comes from God. And some of them, we just, we just so don't even think about because they happen all the time. So those are really, really good, the everyday moves of God. But I want to just distinguish between that and the extraordinary moves of God. That, those are what we're focusing on in this series, the things that we don't see all the time, the things that are sort of outside of the realm of everyday experience and, and out of the routine of things that God is always doing. These extraordinary moves of God are things that happen to specific people who are in specific situations at specific times. It's not universally happening to everybody. And again, what we're not saying is, oh, the everyday moves are less important. No. The everyday moves, oh, we don't need them as much. No. What we're saying is we need them both, and both are awesome and essential, but sometimes, some of you can testify, sometimes we need a little bit of extra help. We need a little bit of extra God's presence. We need a little bit of extra power. We need a little bit of extra uh, encouragement. We need a little bit of extra healing. We need a little bit of extra strength in our lives. Those are the moves of God that we're talking about, the extraordinary. Make sense? Good, okay. Second thing then, second part of the warning label. We cannot force God to do anything. This is the single most important thing I want to caution us on right here. We cannot force God to do anything. What we are not saying for a second is, okay, all you got to do is follow the magic formula we're going to talk about in the next four weeks, and boom, God will have to move. He'll have to do whatever you want. No, it's not how it works. There's a problem in that statement. God will have to. God will have to do this. God will be forced to show up. That's not how God works. It's not how you dance this dance. This verse right here on the screen says it very succinctly. Psalm 115, verse three. And in fact, I want us just to read it together. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, I'm gonna get you to do that again. You know I am. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Let's break that down. When it says our God is in the heavens, that's a reminder 
God is an authority over us. God is an authority over all things. And I don't know how it works at your place of employment, but I'm assuming you don't go around barking orders at your superiors and telling them how it's going to be and telling them what to do. Like, try that and see how well it goes at your job. Or don't try it, actually. That might be better. My pastor told me to. No, he did not. Our God is in the heavens. He is in authority. He is sovereign over all things, and we give account to him. He is in authority over our lives. Let's not forget that. And he does all that he pleases. God has a will. And God follows that will. God does what he wants to do. Now, sometimes God will do things in accord with what we ask. Sure he will. Sometimes God does things totally independent of us. Sometimes God does stuff in spite of us. At least in my life he does. But in all of this, we can't force him to do anything. This is, this is no prosperity gospel. This is no name it and claim it. You want it, you got it. This is no Jesus is a genie in the bottle. That is not what's going on at all because our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. We cannot force him to do one blooming thing. What we're talking about, though, is simply an effort. Are there things that we can do to position ourselves to make it more likely that we might see him move? That's our heart here. That's the question here. And that leads into the third part of the warning label. We can block the move of God. Just like we can potentially position ourselves to see it, there are things that we can do to prevent God from moving. Here's, here's how I would describe this. God, God is personal. He's personable. God has feelings. How many of you know that about God? He has feelings. And God can be grieved. God knows when he's not welcome somewhere. How many of you would be eager to roll on up into somewhere where you knew that you weren't welcome? Like that just, that's the worst, right? Where you just know you're not welcome somewhere, you're not gonna be real keen on, on going there unless you're like pulling a prank or something. But anyway, pretty well, you're not going to. Now listen, we can block God from moving. We can show God he's not welcome in our lives sometimes. We can show God that he's not welcome. Here's a few examples. When we walk in unbelief, in Matthew 13, 58, it says, Jesus did not do many miracles in that city because of their unbelief. He said, I'm out of here. See you later. We can show God that he's not welcome when we don't respect him and when we don't honor him. If you read Malachi chapter one, that's what's going on there. God says, where is my honor? Where is my respect? I'm God after all. Like, why are you treating me with such contempt? And he says, don't expect me to do anything in your life if you're treating me that way. Where is my honor? I'm the Lord. We, we show God is not welcome when we walk in continual sin. Not when we stumble here and there, but when we're locked into a groove and a rut of sin and we don't give a rip about getting out of it. That shows God, I'm not really serious about you. I don't really, I don't really care. We show God he's not welcome when we don't love one another. We did just come out of 12 weeks of 1 John where that was featured about every week, so had to mention it today. When we don't love one another, God says, ah, not touching that. When we don't forgive each other, that can block the move of God. Husbands, this one's for you, 1 Peter 3, 7. If we don't take care of our wives, we can show God he's not welcome. It says, your prayers will be hindered 
if you're not taking care of your wife. Don't even pray. To, I'm not even going to listen to you if you're not taking care of your wife. We can block the move of God and show him that he's not welcome when we act pridefully. Some of you know James 4, 6. It says God opposes the proud. God will actually be against you and what you're doing when you act pridefully. And people wonder sometimes why God hasn't shown up. God, where are you? Why aren't you in my situation? Why aren't you doing what I want? Why aren't you doing what I need? Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? And people don't stop to think, could I be grieving God by the way that I'm living and acting? Because you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? And you can be the dam in your life that blocks the move of God. You can be, by the way that you live and act, you can be the dam that blocks the move of God in your life, in your marriage, in your family life, in your career, in your church. Like you and I individually can be that block. You know what that means? We gotta check ourselves. We gotta check ourselves. Because I don't know about you, like I don't want to block God moving. I don't want him to, I don't want to prevent him from doing anything in my life. I don't want to prevent him from doing anything in your life or in our church. Like, I want to see God move. We got to check ourselves. Number four, then, we should long for God, not just for what God can do. That's a trap we can fall into kind of easily. Let me give you an analogy. I love going to my grandmother's house. And Lori's laughing. I don't know why she's laughing. <laughs> I didn't even start yet. I have always loved going to my grandmother's house. Part of the reason, part of the reason was that we would stay overnight. She lives in the distant community of Burt's Corner, like hours and hours away. So we'd stay overnight. And when we would stay overnight, she would always make us bacon and eggs in the morning. I'm suddenly getting hungrier. Bacon and eggs. We're talking like a big, big old plate of bacon. Oh, we, I had a good deal going on up in there, just, just telling you. I didn't go there, though, just because I'd get bacon and eggs. I mean, I liked it. Nothing wrong with receiving that blessing, but I have always liked going to my grandmother's house because I like my grandmother, because we hang out and we enjoy each other's company. Like, that's... I haven't had bacon and eggs there like in years and I'm still going. So anyway, I'll get off of that train now. Look, if we just want to be around somebody for what they can do for us, like what does that say about us, right? If you want to hang out with someone and you can usually tell, right? I think this person is only here because I happen to have $10 in my pocket. Like would they be here if my $10 wasn't around? Like, that's what a spoiled brat does. That's how a freeloader lives and a selfish person lives. And we can't be those people. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see God move, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's not be a people that only want to hang around the Lord when we need something and when we think he can do something for us. That happened to Jesus in John chapter 6. He had just fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. He did this crazy miracle. It was awesome. The people were loving it. Crowds were following him around. And one day they came up to him. They said, oh, hey, Jesus, how you doing, buddy? How you doing? Good to see you. Hi. And he knew their heart. And he said, you're only here because you ate your fill of the loaves and the fish. In other words, you don't care about me. You're only here because I can do something. And I did something cool for you that benefited you. 
Let that not be us. Let us be a people who first seek the Lord just for him. And then the stuff follows that. Here's the irony. Here's the irony in this. When we long for God first, the stuff comes anyway. Matthew 6.33, you all know it. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, make it your business. Make it your priority to focus in on the Lord. Seek the Lord. Long for the Lord. And you know what he said in that verse? He says, and all that other stuff will be added unto you. When you make it your business to seek the Lord first, that need that you have over here, that thing over here, that, that provision, that, that situation, whatever, like the Lord's going to take care of that. But we seek him first and not the situation. We seek him first and not the stuff. And you know what's cool? When we're seeking him first and then those needs are met and then the stuff comes, it almost in a way doesn't even matter because our focus is on him anyway. And it's just blessing on blessing. And Lord, thank you for that. But you know what? I still want you more. Let that be our heart. Let us seek the Lord just for him. Now that said, let's go to number five then. Though we should long for God first and not just what God can do, number five, we should definitely long to see God move. We should definitely long for that. The first priority is wanting him, but, and we're gonna read these verses here, and you're gonna see in these, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see what God can do, too. Look at, look, just look at the heart of some of these writers here. Psalm 63, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So you can see it. This person just wants the Lord. They're going after it. But it says, look, it says, so I have looked upon you, beholding your power and your glory. In other words, God, I've seen what you can do. And I want to see it again. I want you and I want to see your power. I want to see your power flowing through my life, working in my midst. I long for that, God. See how it's a both and? Psalm 143.5, it says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And then it says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. You can see it there again. God, I want you, but I, I'm ready to receive what you want to do in my life. I'm ready to see you move. And then Psalm 119, verse 148 says, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. That's language for someone who's looking out for the Lord. He's pursuing the Lord. They're going after it. They're, they're intent on, on getting into the presence of the Lord. And then it says, that I may meditate on your promise. You know what's cool about that? To meditate on the promise doesn't just mean I'm looking back here thinking about what you said. It means I'm longing to see, God, the fulfillment of what you've promised. So that's, that's cool. Now, is that our heart? Do we have that kind of longing in our lives? Do we long for God and long to see God show up and move and act and do something powerful? Because don't forget, he's able to do it and he loves to do it, do we long for it? Something else, this is funny. This is what happens sometimes when you're preparing a sermon. This next part, I was trying to get rid of this part all week, and the Lord, I presume was the Lord, kept on saying, no, you gotta say it, you gotta say it. So I don't know who this next part is for, but this is for somebody. Um, sometimes when we're thinking about this, longing to see God move and, and, and seeing him work in our lives, Sometimes we live in the rearview mirror. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes 
we have the scenario where God moved in our past. Back there in my life, God did something. He provided, he met a need, he, he moved, he showed up, whatever it is. And we kind of get hung up only on those. We're looking back in the rearview mirror. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. How many of you are thankful for some of the things that God has done in your life? How many of you, God did something years ago and you still remember it? Absolutely. Like, that's the same for me. There are things God has done in my life I never want to forget. I'm never going to stop looking in the rearview mirror. But the question is this, do you long to see it again? Like, do you, do you long to see God move again in, in a fresh, in a powerful way in your life? Not because this time back here in the past wasn't enough, but because it's exhilarating and it's, it's, it's awesome and it's awe-inspiring and it's glorious to see the Lord move. Like, do you long for it? Do we long for it? Here's what I got. We ought to be a people, when we're driving along in this car, going on this journey of life, we ought to be a people that regularly check the rearview mirror and remember what God has done. We ought to regularly check the rearview mirror, but I also want us to be a people who continually look out the windshield in the front as well for what God is going to do and what God has promised to do and for what God wants to do. That sound good to anybody? Number six then, and we'll start wrapping up after this. Moves of God are meant to motivate our worship. Somebody say worship. This is another chapter in our saga about means and ends. We've had this talk before, means and ends. Means are things that you use or experience or go through to get to something else. The means aren't the goal. The end is the goal. Here's, here's modern day language for you. When I go to the McDonald's drive through Got your attention. Somebody's head popped up when I said that. When I sit in line at the McDonald's drive-thru, it's not because sitting in the drive-thru line is the experience. Oh, I'm so thankful I got to come and sit in the drive-thru today. What a time. What a, what a Saturday. I sit in the drive-thru line so that I can get to the second window and get my Big Mac meal with habanero sauce added to it. Does that preach to anybody? I didn't think so. But it works for me, and I'm rolling with it. Moves of God are a means, not an end. The end is worship. When God moves, when God acts, when God does something powerful, it's not just so that you will feel good. Though you might feel really good when it happens. When God moves, it's not just for your benefit, though it might benefit you immensely. When God moves... It's so that our hearts will be moved to worship him. And I'm gonna read that one example of scripture that's on the screen from 1 Kings chapter 18, just to drive this home. What's going on in 1 Kings 18 is that the nation of Israel was low. They were low. Like they were far from God. They'd wandered from God. They were in the middle of a severe drought and famine. It hadn't rained for like a long time. And they were under the rule of King Ahab. Ahab has, to me, one of the coolest names, but he, it says, was the terrible king, the worst of all the kings that came before him. He, was, he did these awful things. He worshiped false gods. And on his watch, the people were led astray. So this was not a prosperous time in Israel. And the prophet Elijah strolls in and he confronts King Ahab to a duel, to a challenge. And the challenge was this. Who can get their God to show up first? 
Will it be all your false gods and all your other gods and your this and your that? Or will it be the God of Israel? And so they show up on the day of the duel. Ahab shows up with all his false worshipers and his false prophets and all their charades and all their rituals. They're cutting themselves. They're crying out. And their God doesn't show up because he's not real. And Elijah's just waiting his turn. Actually, he's making fun of them. It's kind of funny. He says, maybe your God's gone out to relieve himself. Like, just making fun of them, right? And so finally, he says, okay, this has gone on long enough. I'm going to take my turn, and I'm going to show them what my God can do. And so Elijah prepares an offering. He builds an altar. And then, this is where we pick it up, verse 36. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Listen, that this, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And look at verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That was the goal in that whole sequence. It wasn't just so that the false gods could be disproven and removed, though that was needed. That needed to happen. It wasn't just so that the wicked king would see the right path, though that needed to happen. It was so that the people would worship the Lord and recognize him as the one true God and have their hearts turned back to him. That is the point of a move of God. When you see God do something in your life, in this world, in our church, wherever, it's so that we will go, wow, God, look at what you've done. It's so that we will get caught up in his splendor and in his glory and in his majesty and his power. Maybe it's so that maybe you're wandered from God and maybe when you see that, that'll cause your heart to turn back to him and recognize him as God. When God moves, it's to lead us to declare his praise and to exalt him as God. That is the point. And when we start getting this one right, when we start living lives of worship and seeing the Lord Jesus lifted high in our lives, like that's when we start to get it right. Let me reference back to our First John series. God has a life for us. And that life is a life of walking with him and acknowledging him as God and worshiping him as God. And when we start to walk in that path, that's when we start to live the life that he has for us. How many of you want to live the life God has for you? There's our warning label. That's to set all this stuff up about the move of God. And in the coming weeks, like I said, we're going to talk about a number of principles we see right in Scripture that when we do them, we can position ourselves to perhaps see the Lord move in our midst. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, and I want you to answer me if you're in on this program today. Do you want to see God move? Do you want to see God do incredible things in our day? Do you want to see God move in your situation? Do you want to see God make a way for you in that scenario that you're facing? Do you want to see restoration and renewal and revival breaking out in our lives and in our city and in our church? Do you want to see that? Yes. Then it's going to start right now as we worship him.